what's your favorite animal? What's your favorite animal? Tell the person beside you what your favorite animal is. Okay, you got that done. I'm going to tell you my favorite in a minute. But, you know, they call groupings of animals certain things. Like, if we have a group of cows, what do we call them? A herd. If we have a group of dolphins, what do we call them? Hey, good job. I thought I would trip you up on that one. If we have a group of crows, a murder, great, great. And a group of kangaroos is a mob. What is a group of wombats? It's a wisdom, a wisdom of wombats, yeah. And what is a group of vultures? It's a committee. Yeah, yeah. And that is why WBC has no committees. But my favorite animal is this guy, the rhinoceros. And you know what they call a group of rhinos? A crash. You know why they call them a crash? Because these dudes can run about 50 kilometers an hour, but they can only see about nine meters in front of them, right? So as a, as a group, they take off and they're running and they don't care what's in front of them because they weigh about three tons and they got this massive horn on their head. So whatever's in front of them needs to be more concerned about them. That's why they call them a crash. I like rhinos because I'm a big fan of looking at what's in front of me, not what's behind me. In your car, the rear view mirror, it's a very small thing. Your windscreen is massive, right? So we're looking forward. Anybody else forward lookers? Or some of you maybe, you like to look back and reflect, right? And enjoy the past. Anybody like that that's willing to admit it after I just said all that? Yeah, I see a couple of bold people. You know, when I was a kid, thinking about looking back, my grandmother, in her house, there was this plaque, and it had uh, these words on it. It said this, it said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, if you're wondering what a plaque is today, that would be a meme on your Facebook wall, okay, or Instagram, that kind of thing. But it said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I didn't know where that came from when I was a little kid, but as I grew up, I realized that's actually from this book that we call the Bible, Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. And a lot of people will put sayings like this up around their house or wear t-shirts or coffee mugs or whatever, and they got no idea that they're actually quoting scripture, that it came from the Bible. Now, I love Joshua. I love the narrative around his life in the Hebrew scriptures that we call our Old Testament. He was a high-capacity guy and a great example of leadership. Now, we're in a series right now called Steady As She Goes, and we've looked at a couple of characters already. We've looked at uh, the character of Joseph, and we've looked at Daniel, and we've seen how they were steady. And today we're going to look into the life of Joshua, and we're going to see that Joshua was a guy who was steady as she goes, and he was committed to moving forward. I like to call him a rhinoceros because that's, he, he was going forward, and anybody get, that got in his way, there, there was going to be a crash. So we pick up Joshua's story in the book called Joshua. It's in our Old Testament, chapter 1. In verse 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. Moses is dead. Now, Joshua didn't need God to tell him that Moses was dead. He already knew, and all the nation of Israel already knew. They would have been in a lot of grief over this. If I'm Joshua and the Lord's going to speak to me, I'd rather him tell me, don't start with Moses' death. It's like, I got that part. What's next? And we're going to get to that, all that in just a minute. But he says, Moses is dead. Moses, the Lord's servant, is dead. This is the guy who had the burning bush experience where he saw God. He was there with God, speaking to him through a burning bush. He was the one who led them out of Egypt, the one who had taken them to freedom. Moses was the one who had been the voice of God to the people. And now Moses is dead. Moses had taken them as far as he could. And now it was time for another leader to step in. And God's telling Joshua, it's you. It's your time. It's time for you to step up. And immediately when I see that, I wonder, why Joshua? What was it about Joshua that God called him to this significant place in time where he's going to lead Israel into the promised land? Well, first of all, I noticed that Joshua had to endure a process. That's how he got here. He had to endure a process to get here. That process was 60 years in the making. Joshua spent 20 years in Egypt, and then he spent 40 years wandering through the desert with Moses. Okay, 60 years to lead up to this time. He's 60 years old, and he gets his first major leadership gig. And he's saying, God's saying, you're going to lead Israel into the promised land. He used that first 60 years to prepare him for this moment. Joshua had proven himself over time. He was not Moses. He was Joshua. He was Moses' assistant. Not even like the 2IC or anything like that. He's more like Moses' PA. So he's doing all, all the things that Moses asked him to do. He was a very faithful servant. He did whatever he was asked to do. He was even given a couple of opportunities to lead at smaller levels, to lead in some battles. And he proved himself faithful over time. And he was a learner. He learned at the feet of Moses. Sometimes uh, in uh, Numbers, I believe it's chapter 28, Joshua said, let's go kill all these people. And he's talking about his own countrymen. And Moses said, hang on a minute. And taught him how to deal with people a little bit better. So Joshua had gone through a lot. He'd gone through a lot of learning. And now he had a front row seat as Moses' assistant. And it's his turn to step up. And he tells him this. God tells Joshua this. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, take note of that, you will be on land I have given you. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Joshua had to endure a process. Now he has to embrace a promise that God is giving him. And that promise is everywhere that you put your feet, everywhere you step, I'm giving you that land. He said, it's the land I have given you. Past tense. It's like, it's already done, Joshua. It's already done. I have given this to you. No, you're not standing in it yet. No, you're not there yet. And there's going to be lots of problems. But 
I have given it to you. But notice what's next, though. Joshua had to take some steps. It says, everywhere you put your feet, that land I have given you. It required movement for Joshua. Steady as she goes doesn't mean just sitting back. Steady as she goes means steadily moving forward. And Joshua had to understand that. When we talk about embracing the promise, embracing the promise actually means this. It means taking action based on the promise. See, when God promises to do something, generally it's going to require us to make some movement. We're going to come back to that a lot in just a little bit. But take that principle on board right now. And remember that throughout the rest of the time we've got today. When you take on the promise, that's going to mean some action. The action is a result of the promise. So he says, no one is going to be able to stand against you. There will be people who will try to stand against you, but no one will be able to. That's a key part of this. He says, Joshua, no one's going to be able to stand against you, but there will be people who are going to try. There are going to be people standing against you, but they will not be able to. See, Joshua, God had given him the land, but the problem was... There are other people in the land. Okay, he's not going into vacant lots and just setting up camp. There's other people there. 38 years before, Joshua had visited this land. And he had firsthand understanding of what was waiting. There were strong people experienced in battles. They had fortified cities. But Joshua had proven himself over time the smaller opportunities, and now he's being called to step up into this massive opportunity. It's a greater opportunity, but it didn't mean that now he gets to rest in a position of power and influence. You know, there's a verse in the New Testament where Jesus says, hey, you've been faithful over a few things. Now I'm going to make you ruler over many. Anybody want to do that? Be faithful over a few things so you can be ruler over many? You know what that actually means? It means You've done some good things here, and you did it a little bit tough. You've had some difficult circumstances. Now, because you actually did well there, I'm going to give you some more hard circumstances. It's going to get harder because you can do it. Yeah. So who wants to be ruler over many now? Yeah. Faithful over a few, ruler over many. Small problems, big problems. That's what Joshua was in for here. When he spied out the land in Numbers chapter 14, 12 spies went in. Moses sent 12 spies into the land. 10 of them came back, and all of them said, hey, this is a great land, good food and everything. But 10 of them said, there's giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers. No way, no how. Joshua and his friend Caleb said, what? Let's go in now. Let's take the land because we can do it because God is on our side. So there's a conflict. 10 against 2. 38 years later is where we're sitting now. It took 38 years to get to this point where Joshua was going to lead them in. But see, Joshua and Caleb saw something different. They saw what could be rather than what was. They didn't get distracted by what was. They didn't get distracted by the obstacles. They saw what could be and claimed the promise. They embraced the promise that God had given them. When they said, let's take the land you know what the, uh, the rest of the nation of Israel said? Let's kill them. Yeah. These guys saw what, what could be rather than what was and said, let's go take the land. So all their friends said, we want to kill you because we don't like what you're saying there. Now we're 38 years later and God says, 
tells Joshua, and no one will be able to stand against you. When we read that in passing, he's going into this land, and there's lots of other people in the land. We're thinking, none of those people are going to be standing against you. I believe Joshua would have taken that on board for the enemies that they were about to face, but also the internal strife he was about to face. People standing against him that were meant to be on his side. Joshua had to embrace the promise that no one's going to be able to stand against you. Those that are on your team that are not going to be happy about this and those that you're going to take the land from. Then God goes on talking to Joshua and he tells him this, be strong and courageous for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Lots of great words in there about success and prosperity. Anyone want those words over your life? No? Are you serious? Okay, so you all want to be losers and failures. Seriously, I I want success. I want prosperity. I really do. But... We need to understand actually what that means. So so God's told Joshua, be strong and courageous. And that's to a guy who had already shown himself that. Remember 38 years before he said, let's go take the land. I think that's an affirmation. When he says, be strong and courageous, God's telling Joshua, be who you are. Back yourself. This would have been a confidence booster for Joshua to say, yeah, I can do it. God's on my side. It's what I said 38 years ago. We're going to do this. Be courageous. Be strong. He says, you're the one. But then he says, be careful and do not deviate. Do not deviate. Don't go to the right or the left. In the nautical term, uh, phrase, steady as she goes, what this series is all about, that's what it's saying. It's saying, stay the course. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by the winds or the gust or anything else that's going to come along. The waves keep going steady on. That's what he's telling Joshua here. Stay steady as she goes goes. Then he says to study the book. Now, this is Joshua's prescription. This is what Joshua needs to take on board after he embraces this this promise. He says, study the book. Study means to mine it out, to speak the words of this book over your life. And he would have been talking about the Torah at that point. That would have been Israel's Bible. And he's telling him, you're going to need to be speaking these words of scripture over yourself and studying them because they're going to give you comfort when you're discomforted. They're going to give you direction when you don't know where to go, when you don't know that next step. And then he says, that's when it's going to bring you prosperity and success, which none of you want. I already got that, but I actually want that. But if we understand it, what it is, is he's telling Joshua, you're going to have prosperity and success. I've called you to lead Israel across the Jordan into the land. I've called you to defeat the enemies that will be there and to possess the land. That, my friends... It's success and prosperity. That is what God is promising here. He's not promising him a rich, lavish life. 
He's promising him that he will do what he's called him to do, that God's plan will be fulfilled through Joshua's life. So he says, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. Three times he says, be strong and courageous. Why? Because God is giving him something to do that's beyond his capacity. You know, far too often when God calls us to step out in faith and do something that we know is beyond our capacity, what do we say? No, can't do it. I know my limitations. I know I'm not able to do that. So we just pack up and go home. But if God said do it, does it matter if we think we're able? No. But that's why he's telling Joshua, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. This is going to get hard. This is not going to be easy. You're not going to think you can do it. Be strong and courageous. Joshua could lean into that promise because it was a promise of God's presence. So what do we do with all this? Some lessons from the life of Joshua for you and I. First of all, there is no progress without going through a process. Okay? You don't make progress in life. And hey, even if you're not a follower of Jesus or you don't even believe in God and you're listening to this online or in the room, this is true. There is no progress without going through a process. That's what Joshua experienced for 60 years it took, uh, the development. 38 years after he saw the land, when he said, we can do this, 38 years later. You think if you had a dream or a vision or something that you wanted to do, and you said it 38 years ago, and it didn't happen, you'd still be going today? Probably not. We would get discouraged. We would be afraid. We'd think, okay, I must have had that wrong. Joshua was steady as she goes. You know, we all want to get to the destination, to the prosperity, to the success, whatever that looks like, but we become impatient with the process. One of the greatest illustrations of this that I observe as my kids grew up and as your kids grow up and everything, all the parents and grandparents know this, that your kids leave home expecting to start where you are, right, in life. Finances and all the things that you've acquired over 40 or 50 years, Right? And they're 22 and they think, I got to have everything mom and dad does, right? But they haven't been through a process. There's a whole lot of life that's got to beat them up a little bit and that they've got to go through and learn so they can get to there. See, we want God to do something in our lives, but we get frustrated because it seems to be taking too long. We get frustrated with the process. But you know what's, what's interesting about that is often we are making progress and don't even realize it. Think about that. We ignore the progress because we, we're still not at the end goal. If you look back at your life right now, go back 10 years. Are you in the same place you were? Or have you learned a few things? Have you developed a bit? Have you grown a bit? And I don't mean just wait. <laughs> you have. You are not in the same place you were 10 years ago. You have made progress. You may not be at the final destination yet, and actually, if you are, then we're doing a funeral for you, so uh, that's, uh, you, you don't want to be there too soon, but you've made progress. You're getting there. See, God is teaching you things through the waiting, through the difficulties and the battles, but we want to ignore the progress because we're frustrated with the process. There is no progress without a process. If you're in a season of waiting, let God refine you and prepare you for that next step. There's also no success where there are no steps. There's no success without taking steps. 
Stepping means moving forward. God wants to give you success in your life. God wants you to prosper in your life, okay? The things we were talking about earlier, his plans, not yours. He's got great plans for your life. But you know where you're not gonna find those plans? You're not gonna find those plans sitting on the couch binging Netflix or playing video games. And I know this is dangerous. I'm surprised half of you didn't just get up and walk out. But friends, that is some gold truth there. We want God to work in our lives, but we're sitting there saying, God, why aren't you working in my life? We want God to do something, and maybe he wants us to get up and do something so that we can step in to the promises he has for us rather than sitting back and just waiting. You know, when we do that, when we step into what God has for us, it's going to mean leaving some things behind. And that, I don't know exactly what that is for you. It could be your current career path, your current job. It could be your current geography. He may have a geographical move that he wants you to make. It could be taking you beyond where you're comfortable. And here's the hard one. It most definitely will be leaving some relationships behind. Because friends... When you step up to follow Jesus, there are going to be people around you that aren't excited about that. Joshua and Caleb said, let's go take this land. Their friends wanted to kill them. The more serious we get about following Jesus, the more separation you're going to find. Because people won't be able to relate to you anymore. They won't understand you. They'll think you've gone out of your mind. Because when you step up to make a difference, you know what you're going to do? You're going to disrupt things. You're going to disrupt the status quo. And people don't like change. And when they see you changing and wanting to even influence them maybe, they're going to say, no way, no way. It may cost you some relationships. You know, the most peaceful times in my life is uh, the, the rare occasion when I'm not trying to do anything. Yeah, because nobody gets their feathers ruffled if you're not trying to step up and move forward. Stepping into the point of no return. Joshua chapter 3 tells a story of crossing the Jordan to enter the land. The Jordan River was overflowing its banks, and the, the current was way too strong, and it was too deep and wide and everything for them to swim. They would have never been able to swim across. So the Lord told Joshua, tell the priest to put their feet in the edge of the water. And when you do that, then I'm going to make the water stop flowing. It's going to stand, and you're going to walk across on dry ground, you and all of Israel. But the priest had to do that. They had to take that step. There is no success without a step. If they hadn't taken the step, the water wouldn't have stopped flowing and they wouldn't have experienced the miracle. But that step would have been scary. But they had to have the faith to take that step. Finally, there's no reward without taking risks. That teaches us this. Joshua endured the process. He made progress, and he took steps that led to success. But in case you missed it, all of it required risk in Joshua's life. Crossing the Jordan, going into the land, it's all been risky. In the first week of the series, I talked about Joseph, and I said that fulfilled dreams lie on the other side of your greatest fear. Joshua, same thing. He had to overcome his fears in order to experience God's fulfilling of his dreams. I'll tell you a story from Joshua chapter 6. One more story. They've crossed the Jordan River. Now it's time to take the city of Jericho. 
God told Joshua to take Jericho in a very unconventional way. Listen to this. It says, the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho. Okay, past tense. I've given it to you, but you're going to take some steps here. All right. It's king. All his strong warriors, you and your fighting men, should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns and have all the people shout as loud as they can, then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Very unconventional. And if God tells me to go take Jericho in this way, I'm saying, uh, I think you might have got this wrong. Yes, I'm talking to God. I think you might have gotten this wrong. Because what that means is you're going to, for six days, you're going to walk around the wall of the city. You know what's on top of the walls? Warriors with arrows and other weapons. What does that make you? It's like the shooting gallery, right, at the, at, at the carnival. You're sitting ducks. That's the sure way to be defeated. But Joshua did it God's way. And Joshua knew all of this. He understood. He was a general. He knew what would happen. But Joshua did it God's way, and listen to how it played out. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn, marched around the town as they had done before, but this time they went around seven times. Seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout for the Lord has given you the town. Verse 20, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. Joshua took the risk. He did it God's way. You know, I was thinking about this. We do risk assessments in life, right? We do that in our personal life, and we do it, especially if you're in the corporate life or in any uh, business. We have to do risk assessments here. And if I called the staff and the elders and the council together, and I said, we're supposed to take the city next to us, and we're going to march around the wall for seven days, at that point, they're saying, okay, we need an exit strategy for this guy, all right? They're going to give me a nice pay packet and tell me to go ahead, hey, your time's done, okay? Because it would be crazy. We come up with crazy ideas, but the risk is too great. Clearly, we're not going to go take Hopper's Crossing. It's next door to us. But for God and for the gospel, we'll take Hopper's Crossing and Point Cook and Windabay and on, anyway. But if we come up with strategies that sound risky, like sending global workers to places they're not allowed to be, where they could get killed for sharing the gospel, you know, we think that's too risky, and we say, no, I'm not going to do that. If God's calling us to do stuff, we need to step into that. Do the risk assessments. Make sure that we're not just being stupid. But we need to not say no just because it's risky when we're following God. You know, throughout Joshua's life, he was... Steady as she goes. He allowed God to shape him and prepare him through a process. He took steps as God commanded that led to success. And he was willing to take risks to see the rewards on the other side of fear. So today, are you like Joshua? 
Are you allowing God to shape you through a process? That process is going to require patience. It's going to require some pain, enduring some pain. It's going to require perseverance. But can I encourage you right now to look back at your life five years ago, ten years ago. Are you making progress? That should be an encouragement to you. Don't despise the process that you're in right now because you're making progress, and that's going to lead you to where God wants you. Are you holding back because you're afraid to take a risk? That comes down to do you trust God or not? Faith versus fear. Are we willing to faithfully step out when God says go, do something? Or are we afraid? Have you taken the step to follow Jesus? If you have, you know what you did when you did that? You trusted Jesus with your eternity. That's beyond this life. That's your forever. All right? That was a huge risk. That was a huge step. You trusted him with your eternity. Can you trust him with tomorrow? Yes, you can. Can you trust him with the next 10, the next 20, the next 50 years, whatever you've got? If you trusted him with eternity, that should be easy. The here and now is scary, but he can be trusted. Finally, what is your next step? What is your next step that you need to take? Maybe your next step is to have a life-changing moment with Jesus who was God in the flesh, who came to this earth to die for your sins and my sins so that we could have a relationship with him and spend eternity with him. Maybe you need that life-changing experience. One of our people after the service is over will be glad and love the opportunity to tell you how you can have that experience. Maybe your next step is something you saw earlier in this service today where you need to take the step say, I'm going public with my faith through baptism. Yeah, I see people smiling at me, and I know them, and I know they need to take that step, and they know it too. That's why they're smiling. Do you need to take that step? Because when you take that step that Simon took today, that's the point of no return. You can have your faith and keep it private, say, yeah, I've said yes to Jesus, but you keep it to yourself. When you do that, guess what you're doing? You're saying, hey, world! Online people, I'm taking this step. I'm declaring I'm a follower of Jesus. That's going to cost you something. Might cost you some relationships. Might cost you lots of things there. What's your next step? Maybe your next step is being willing to share your faith with a friend. Maybe it's to trust God with your finances. Maybe you don't give to the ministry of the church or any other ministry and you're struggling and you say, I couldn't give anything because I'm just too broke all the time. Maybe you need to trust God with your finances. Maybe you need to allow God to use you in the way he shaped you to serve other people. And I could stand here for hours and go on and on and on making a list, but what is it in your mind right now when I say, what is your next step? What is that little thing tugging right here that says, that's it, that's it, that's it, that you need to do. Here's the question. Whatever that is, and if it's nothing, that's fine. Go have a coffee when we're done, and maybe the Spirit will work on you another day. But if something's going on right there right now, saying you need to take a step, will you please take that step and follow where God's leading you? Friends, following 
Jesus is a journey. It's a process. And God shapes us and makes us. It requires us to take steps. It requires us to take risks. But it's worth it. I want to ask you today as we close the service, there'll be people up here ready to pray with you and talk to you about that next step. I want to invite you to take that step today because when you tell someone about that next step that you're going to do, guess what? Then somebody else knows and they're going to be able to ask you about, hey, have you taken that step? Have you taken that step? Or how are you going with that process? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity you've given us today. Thank you for the overtime. Thank you for the baptism. Thank you for the worship songs that we were able to sing. Thank you for the life of Joshua who teaches us that following you is a journey and it has a process that shapes us, that makes us, that forms us into who we are so that you can use us in that next phase. Help us, Lord, not to be lazy, but to be willing to take steps. Help help us overcome our fear and take risk where that's needed. Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for loving us even when we are fearful, we are timid, and Lord, we, we are hesitant to take those steps. And Lord, we get frustrated with your process sometimes. Thank you for loving us anyway and the grace that you shower upon us. And Lord, give us boldness. Help us to be strong and courageous to step into the things that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.